Hello, my father. Uh, hello, my son. How are yeah. you? Good to be back. On, yeah, good to be back on track. We've had a lot of interruptions in the last month. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, we missed. I think three weeks or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we met. I think we missed two weeks, and then we met, and then we missed another week, and yeah. So, yeah. But life seems to be settling down for us here. Uh, oh, good. No more good. surprise. No more surprise parties that we know of. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, the dogs here, and I think hopefully we at least can so, agree on what chapter we're doing now. <laughs> yeah. Are you going for a walk? Yeah, I'm gonna take the dogs for a walk. Okay. Yeah. After we finish, Ernie, we'll have. Mm -hmm. I'll hang up and call you again to catch up on some other news. Okay, yeah, right? I had a meeting at one o'clock, but hopefully we'll, we'll try and keep it short enough that we have some time. Okay, well, we'll see. Okay, so we're All starting right. with uh, chapter eight, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. chapter eight, which is. Do you want uh, to have a. Uh, this is where. Yeah. So, I think you know um, this is where we start out with the new captain uh, Morrison, the new liaison officer coming on board. Right. Almost like yeah. a new beginning of everything. Yeah. So that guy seems to be a nice guy, and you know it's interesting that before he could come, the news reaches <laughs> this guy that he's coming. Yeah. Through. Uh, and the interesting thing was the people went to Nadensa to make sure it's okay. This guy is okay. Will uh, the teacher approve of this and things like that? Will the teacher approve of what? Sorry. Of, of Morrison. Ah. I forgot that so, part. And she, she assures uh, them that yeah, the teacher would. Uh, would uh, like that or something, and uh, this is where I think I mentioned the last uh, time that uh, as the they start talking, that denial, the three denials happened, mm -hmm. and uh, that was interesting. And uh, I think you know, the classic uh, line there was that was the third time a damn good engineer was going around the bend a bit. He said thoughtfully. It wouldn't have been a bad description of the Prophet Muhammad, only he was a damn good merchant. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I would give you a nice and humor and at the same yeah. time. He seems uh, uh, very agreeable and talking to the RAF not to take the holy ground <laughs> from them. Yeah, the thing like that interested me about him was how he described the man as uh, very intelligent. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because you know because you described him as very nice. Yeah, yeah, right. And I thought I think there's an interesting connection there. I've been um, uh, Papa uh, Philji, my father-in-law, sent me an article from his uh, pastor Mike Fisher, who's an executive coach, who's been blogging about this idea of an amygdala freeze. Can I mention this to you? Yeah, you mentioned the amygdala, yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking about that is that, and, and why I say intelligent, like, it's not just that he's intelligent, it's also that he has, I guess, what we call EQ, not just IQ, 
So he's faced with these difficult situations. He is both, he has the intellectual capacity to understand all the different things going on and the emotional presence to use that capacity. Whereas the other You're talking guy, about either, Morrison? Morrison, talking about right? Morrison? Yeah. Compare, in comparing him to his predecessor. So there's two right. ways of looking at his predecessor. One is that he's just not very bright and he can only hold one idea in his head at a time, which is why he gets so narrowly focused and nearly kills himself. The other is that yeah. he was so traumatized by like some difficult situations he saw in the past that he had in the big war freeze. And even though he's in general quite smart, he just kind of locked into this very narrow tunnel vision of what was happening and lost all perspective and then made some really poor choices. And, well, uh, uh, you and I know a lot of people like that, though. Well, I think the interesting thing about that is that all of us are like that in some context. So that's what I meant. And, and so, <laughs> that's what I meant. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> okay. but I think the interesting thing for me is thinking that okay, sometimes people have an absolute limit on how you know much information they can handle, but most of the time, it's a matter of uh, kind of the level of emotional stress and urgency they feel. Uh, and that, you know, it's an interesting possibility when someone seems like they're not bright enough to handle something, maybe it's just that they're not relaxed enough to handle something. And it's an interesting question. I'm, uh, anyway, it's an interesting question. Okay. But That's on the side note, yeah. We're doing better on both fronts. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, carry on. Okay. Okay. And um, then... Um, then uh, the... The issue of the girl uh, comes up yep. because um, which girl? Uh, Tom girl ma maid. or maid or Maddie? Ma maid, Maddie, Maddie, Maddie Jasmine. Yeah, right. There's this wonderful thing oh, going on, right? Yeah. And Tom and, and everybody wants and the uh, and the reasoning is quite interesting because I feel like the central. Uh, theme of this chapter, and, and really, I feel like this, this chapter really digs into what's going on uh, at a much deeper level than we've been going into. Mm. Yeah, and the reason for it. And, yeah, because it starts with Tom and Nadenda trying to, to talking about setting up or about setting up, <laughs> yeah, setting up chocolate with Mayday, right? Yeah, Before right. Mayday for now. Yeah. Um, and and so this is against the backdrop of the Sheik wanting to go visit Bali, right? That's the yeah, other yeah. subplot going on here. The, the, the other subplot in this chapter is the Sheik wants to go visit Bali to see the teacher. Yeah, no, that, that's actually a, it's a step, next uh, kind of next thing. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it's kind of connected, but because in preparation for that, Sheik's coming, Cutter wants to go there. He wants right. to go there for a vacation. So happens that she mm -hmm. is going. But but the interesting thing is everybody wants um, the relationship to go on um, with uh, Mayday and Shaqlin. Uh, Shaqlin, yeah. but um, except for Shaqlin, possibly. Except for Shaqlin, but also um, Gujar says. Ah. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because the teacher is not like any other man, you would say. Right, and, and, th and this is and a, that, yeah. 
That's exactly the reason why the sister wants him to sleep with her. So he would become like any he other man. He doesn't want. Yeah, uh, he. he it almost sounds a bit like Samson, doesn't it? If I let you cut my hair, I will become just weak like any other man. Mm, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I never thought of that. <laughs> but, but the idea, but, uh, yeah. She, she keeps saying, you know, I don't want him to be a prophet. If, uh, what will happen if he doesn't, then I'm afraid he's going to turn into a prophet, she said. Right, so, turn into a prophet. Right, so it's interesting because... Uh, her perspective, like, um, it's interesting how different people cope with this situation, right? Mm. Or, and I think we'll get some glimpse at the end of the chapter about how Shachlan himself copes with the situation. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting yeah. thing is, um, the sister doesn't want to go there. But she thinks that girl will get frightened. Uh, Jealous, yeah. Intimidated. Yeah. So frightened and um, um, she she wants her to pursue him in some way. Right. Uh, and then the, the last thing is he takes a more practical view. Uh, Cutter says it's not as bad as that. After all, nothing's going to happen if he doesn't get this girl. Only one thing she says sadly. What's that? I think he'll turn into a prophet. <laughs> right. So Tom is convinced so Tom's coping strategy is like just denying that Shocklin is a prophet. Her, right. uh, her strategy is to say, well, he's not a prophet. He's not yet a prophet, but he's yeah. becoming one. And the only yeah. thing that will stop him is if he gets entangled in earthly yeah. relationships. Sc scandal or a relationship or something like that. Right, but, you yeah. Know, see, uh, in that culture, I guess, uh, uh, they don't want him to be married and live like a normal man. They want him to be. Sorry, who, who doesn't? Above who doesn't want? Who doesn't want to, uh, His followers. His followers. Well, uh, so that's an interesting thing, right? Because I think you jump, jump, so the just to kind of set the context here, it's that the sheikh wants to go see Shaqlan before he dies to get his blessing, which is a little creepy, yeah. but okay. Tom's yeah. gonna fly him out there. Tom is gonna go there first to get the place ready, and he wanted to take Nadenza with him. Right to have their little yeah. romantic getaway, and yeah. she doesn't refuse. And first, Tom's really hurt because it's not about you; it's because I want Shaqlin to have a romantic <laughs> getaway, and, or this girl to to get a kid to get Shaqlin away from being a prophet. Uh, yeah. So Tom ends up going there without Nadenda, and then they have yeah. this really profound talk <laughs> where Tom. I think it sounds like some of our lines in our podcast ad, where mm. you know Tom was trying to talk Shaqlin into say into like you know hooking up with this girl. And uh, and and he says, no, why won't you marry her? And then then he says, I can ask you the same question. Why won't you marry Nadenza? I go, I'm not talking about you. I was talking about you. I was talking about you. <laughs> yeah. And this is a fascinating thing. Is that mm. Tom is always saying, well, he's not like other men, right? That's, that's, mm. You mentioned that at the very beginning. He's more like a priest than a normal man. Right. Yeah. But what's interesting is the way Shocklin describes himself or justifies himself, if you will, is that yeah. he's actually just like Tom. If he got, he kind of. I think the interesting thing about yeah. the parallels is that yeah. Tom started out wanting to do one thing, which turned into yeah. something far bigger than he anticipated, and Shocklin yeah. seems to be making the argument that the same thing just happened to him. Yeah. 
is that he yeah. was just like trying to, I, I can imagine this, where he was just saying, you know, hey, you know, I got these uh, clerks around me who are really devoted to the religion, uh, but, mm. you know, not at all devoted to, so I talked about this as possibly the, the uh, inspiration of this story to Neville Shute, right? He noticed mm. that there's this dichotomy between how seriously these people take their religion and mm. how difficult it is to train them to be serious about their work. Right. And so Shocklin, you know, like Neville acts on this and says, you know, hey, you know, I know you people believe in prayer, but like this is, uh, if you start thinking of work as prayer, one, you will pray more, two, you will do better work. It's like, yeah. this seems like such a brilliant, simple, well, see, like, yeah. right. ministry in daily life. <laughs> this one's friendly, this one's just curious. <laughs> My dog's always attracts. Attention yeah. on the walk. <laughs> Thank you, Quinn. Yes, Frolics, let's go. Bye bye. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, uh, let's go back a little bit. And uh, um, he, point blank, they talk about this. Um, I think he says uh, somewhere here, uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, they're um, ordinary man and things like that. And yeah. I think I'm trying to find the page where. Point blank, he says, um, I'm not a, um, so because he says, I'm not an ordinary man. Who says I that? am an ordinary man. Shacklin first says that. What, what is, which uh, which one you, does he say? I, I, you, 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 yeah, you don't have the book track. with you right now. Yes, I, don't have the book I do, with you but right yeah, now. I, have two, I I'll give you the I have two hands for two dogs, so I can't hold it. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. So, um, okay. Um, I need to go back. Okay, anyway. Um, I think it was before the, the shake thing starts. Okay. okay. Well, once the shake thing the starts. Oh, no, oh, right there. No, right here. I found it. Okay. So, uh, uh, both Jacqueline um, and um, uh, Cutter are Tom? talking. This is in Bali towards the end of chapter eight. Towards the end of chapter, chapter yeah. Just towards the end of chapter eight. Um, yeah. And then. Uh, oh, uh, they're talking about uh, May Day and, about, and uh, she offers things to him and um, so Cutter says that sounds like a very debased sort of religion. He says I'm not so sure it keeps her praying and I didn't know what to say to that and uh, what does she pray for? All the usual things. She prays for her mother, her good health and long life. She prays for her father and so on and so forth. Um, and because she's a girl, she prays for a man she can love and respect and her children by him and things like that. Uh, so uh, I don't know that you can say it's a bad sort of religion. Uh, so then they keep on going. Um, you like this place? He says, yes, I like it here. Then um, he, Cutter says, I was afraid there might not be enough work for you, enough interest in training and directing other people, which is what you're good at. So he smiled. Can't you believe that I'm a normal man, that I like to draw my pay for doing nothing and be lazy? No, I, I... It would be all too easy if you're like that. 
Why do you think I'm not? <laughs> Uh, you'll be living with Maddie, Jasmine, if you were, as you say, and they talk about the other guy, uh, Finnett. Yeah, um, yeah, who, who has and then, uh, effectively then, married the uh, other girl. Then he asked, yeah. uh, what do you think I ought to do? You know me well enough by now to say it. Then he talks about, uh, um, oh, he tried to talk to him. Made, uh, I, I, yeah. Think, yeah, I think you ought to settle down here and marry marry Jasmine and raise a family like any ordinary man. He smiled. He, instead of answering him, he says, and you, are you an ordinary man? This is what you're talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for that one. You mean I'm a fine one to talk? I know that you've been married and it's a it tragedy, but is there any reason why you should not marry again? Will you ever be really happy till you do? All very well to swing it on me like this, but you we are talking about. You and Maddie, he smiled, and I was talking about you. I said, that's not fair. That's the subject. <laughs> and they go back and forth. So yeah, so this is then, fascinating uh, on so many levels. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Finish it up. Then, then, then we thought they talked about um, she would marry you if you asked her, he observed. I knew that, of course, when I lived in Bahrain. And Kujar Singh, he tells me that she's in love with you. We are talking about the Nadesma. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so and he explains it. And then, so, the work comes before the chance of marriage and children and a quiet home, he said. You put it that way, I said, yes, I think it does. And so it does with me, Shaklin. <laughs> so, so like you said, they are two men of the same temperament. Well, and yeah, yeah said, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. So there's, there's so many lines. Okay, that's what you're going to say, because I had a few observations. Hmm. Are you finished, or? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, go ahead with your talk, yeah. Well, so it's only the way that it's presented here is that there's a certain symmetry between them, right? Yeah. And yeah. that, uh, and what he's, the author, or, or what Shockland is trying to suggest, yeah, is that he is has both chosen and been chosen by this work the same mm -hmm. way that Tom both chose and was chosen by this business, right? Okay. And there's That's this thing about being a founder or being a father, right? There's the thing <laughs> you do to get into it, which is often quite fun, and then there's the long-term obligation that arises out of it, which is often yeah. quite challenging. <laughs> And yeah. often, you know, conflicts with the things that you very much that drew you into it in the first place. And yeah. one of the fascinating implications of this, if you take, because I assume Shaka is not just talking about being a manager of engineers, but he's talking yeah. about all these weird spiritual responsibilities that have devolved on him. Right. And it's, it's an interesting question. Like we talked about work in everyday life. Yeah. Or work as religion or religion as work. And, you know, one interesting way to say, what is this story about, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one point of view, another perspective, let's just call it that, I'm yeah. not going to yeah. well, is that, you know, in the olden days, people found meaning from religion. And in the new world, we're finding meaning from work. Right? Because Tom yeah. does not come across as completely religious, but like his work is doing right by his employees, is uh, you know, taking care of the responsibilities of business, that is in some ways his religion. You know, that's what drove him to sacrifice family and comfort and parental obligations 
to come back to Bahrain is the obligations of the work, or at least the relational construct See, that were formed I mentioned this the before. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mentioned this before that your grandfather, Kantya um, Tata, had mm. a plaque in his uh, uh, clinic. You walk in, yeah. and it says, work is worship. Right. Yeah, and it was so interesting to me. Fine line here. Fine line here. I think I told you my quote, right? In Silicon Valley, we yeah. uh, we uh, we work at our play, play uh, at our worship, and worship our work. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, mm. and I got that's in discussions with Apple HR about when they had a rule against worship at work. It's like, well, some of what worship is work, and so. How do you, but yeah. <laughs> there's a couple of layers here that I wanted to unpeel. One is that uh, Shockman, for the first time, kind of gives us his definition of what is worthy religion. Mm. And it seems to be like prayer, right? Is it, this is something that gets people to pray and maybe more generously to connect with the divine. That is in itself an inherently good thing. And it yeah. doesn't matter whether it's the uh, fruits before an idol. Or yeah. you know, or Tom sitting in the sanctuary wrestling with his demons, like those yeah. are all good things, and each of those is yeah. a equally valid form of of religion. So that's one yeah. perspective there. The other yeah. thing that's interesting to me is that um, he doesn't see any conflict between religion and work. Right? He, he his whole the whole thesis that he is sort of proposing is that good work is good religion. Uh, yeah, that's the Eastern concept, anyway. That's the Eastern concept, anyway. Both in Hinduism and Islam. Yeah. There's no problem with that. Only here, there's a separation of church and state, or church and work, whatever it is. Well, well the Eastern that's, that's concept, important. yeah. Yeah, because that's they all. Thing, right. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So let's think Go about ahead. this in the. Um, I mean. Well, what's interesting is because you do see a conflict, like if you're supposed to be working, you know, an eight-hour day and you have to pray five times a day, there are at least tensions between the conventional rigid way of defining work and the conventional rigid way of defining religion. And so let's, let's modify his thesis a little bit, is that uh, he's sort of claiming that if, that um, if, um, you know, good religion creates good work. Yeah. If, you know, and this is kind of the whole debate about this hanger. You could see as a, a symbol of, you know, if if the world will give enough space for religion to do its thing, then religion yeah. will uh, lead to better work, right? If we just give Shockley his time to talk to his engineers, they will actually be more productive. So by giving up time, and I think I've probably made this case myself, by giving Apple employee time to go to prayer meetings, we actually bring our whole person to work and do better work as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Even if it leads to occasional points of conflict like it does here. Yeah. But the other thing that's fascinating about this is that it's really, he's talking about religion. Like these sort of ceremonial outward observances. Mm. And that's kind of what he seems to be mostly focused on. We'll get you up so we can go. Mm. We can go. We'll create up the dog so I can continue talking to you while I'm on the uh, way to the okay. Trader Joe's. 
Cutting out, Ernie. I consider a deeper, profound. So say that uh, again because you cut out, Ernie. Okay, sir. We yeah, did that. Sorry, because I, I couldn't hear you. Okay, fine. Um, in the mm. transition between inside and outside, which messes with. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, always happens there. Yeah. So okay. On the one hand, it doesn't seem like he has a deep, um, like he's not it's writing this out of a profound spiritual experience, where mm. he like you know uh, had a deep. Um, well, it's not like I get anything deep out of this. Like, wow, he has this extraordinary experience of the divine, or what it means to be uh, devout. Mm. That you know really is a deep insight that's going to like drive the novel and inspire me. On the other hand, uh, this idea of that work is actually pretty profound, especially at that time. Yeah. Right, and the tensions, and, and this idea that there's both a tension and a complement, complementarity between religion and work, mm. is actually I think a fairly uh, significant. Like it feels like the novel works well because there's a real tension there, right? There's both a yeah. synergy where the work and the religion really reinforce each other, and yeah. there's a. Uh, tension because they sometimes conflict with each other. What's fascinating though is that in this union between religion and work, marriage and family clearly get the short end of the stick. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well you know and it's fascinating. Yeah. Sorry? Yeah. You're gonna say? If you put all of them in the same light, yeah, right. Because you know we always say that, right? God, family, work is the order. We we try to put them all in an order. Well, that's, that's sort of like the, you know, the 1980s forward. That was kind of a mantra, right? right. And, uh, before that, it wasn't really a question. You know, people didn't think of it in those terms. Uh, work. Not that I'm aware of, right? I mean, just for a long time, like for a thousand years, it's like it, it, you know, the whole thing about celibacy and priests. And this gets to the question of like, you know, how shocking is that? Um, interestingly, like the idea of requiring celibacy was never formal until like the 1800s. But even before then, there was the sense mm. of those who are willing to give up marriage and family are the ones mm. you really know are serious about their religion. Right. And therefore, you can trust them more. And so it became kind of a signal, you know, the way that, you know, fancy suits become a signal for a banker that you can trust. Yeah. Is if they're willing to go through all those efforts, then, you know, there's a better chance that they're trustworthy. And over time, that becomes a ritual. And there's a... There's a there's a phrase I forget what it's called, uh, in Mackenzie's Law or something that once a measure uh, is understood as a useful signal, it ceases to become a useful signal. 
right? Because then everyone mm. will fake the signal rather than actually demonstrate the real thing. So at the right. beginning, it's a really powerful signal, and at the end, it becomes mm. sort of a facade. Yeah. Uh, and the but the the and this is actually the uh, the interesting question that I've been wrestling with a lot. Uh, you know, mm. at least since I went to visit this uh, Catholic monastery a few years ago. Mm. I guess probably three years ago, maybe um, two or three mm. years ago. Okay. And which was mm. that, uh, you know, I, I I certainly believe it is possible to follow God and work in the marketplace. Like, I feel like that question I have an answer for. Uh, is that there, But the question of can you be happily married and give your wife and child what they expect of you while being all out in pursuit of God is still a thing that I am, I can't say I have a definitive answer on. You know, I, I know what I hope is true, but, you know, the mm-hmm. question is, you know, what, what are the real trade-offs that you want to have to make? And are they really trade-offs, or is there a way to actually reconcile these? Yeah, I have a different perspective on that. Okay. It's not. Uh, I think each person is different. There are some people for whom uh, they have to pursue God 100%, and that's the way uh, God made them, or that's the way they're wired, or that's the way they brought up whatever for them. That is the best thing for them. And for another person, uh, having a family and showing everybody what a godly man takes care of his family, and you serve God uh, to the best of your ability under the circumstances, uh, that's your uh, vocation or that's your mission. Through that, you glorify God. Uh, You you are a model for other people. You are... Encouraging, uh, encouragement for other people, things like that. For some other people, um, they work really hard, and with the understanding, the wife also understands that, and they decide not to have any children, and they basically both of them support the work of the husband. And that's how I look at it. So whatever your lot is, the ultimate goal from God is to. We have to know him, love him, and follow him. Okay. For each person, it's a little different. Right. So I think there's two subtly different things that I want to try and tease apart. Okay. okay. One is sort of at the local pragmatic level. Given that I am in this station of life, right? Um, what is the uh, optimal way to follow God? in there, right? And that is a perfectly valid question, right? Right. But there's a larger question, which is, uh, you can frame it in two ways. One is, okay, if I, you know, have a teenager who has not chosen their station in life, which one or which ones, if they're, uh, let me be more precise. Sorry, are you still there? Yeah. Headphones are bouncing in and out. Yeah. So let's call it the religious life. This is literally where the word religion came from, right? Originally, the monks who lived under a rule, a regulus, were called religious, and the priests who lived among the people were secular. The secular was actually a term applied to Catholic priests. And when we later did acquire this, yeah, it's fascinating. This whole concept of religious is actually a, uh, and and secular was was really a totally different uh, place to draw the line than it ended up today. Because what happened was, 
there a Lutheran came Luther came in? Well, so Luther came in, I think, after this. I think what the because mm-hmm. the religious orders were founded like 300, 400 A.D. with Benedict and Augustus and all that. Mm-hmm. And what happened is like celibacy. It's like well, the priests that people took seriously were not just like random preachers who were wandering around, but there were people who lived under a rule that there was some sense of discipline and order and and like we would call it maybe today uh, certification. Mm. Right. You you couldn't just okay. be a priest because I'm certified you. It's like you went through a qualification You're like doctors. Right. Nowadays, a doctor is someone who's gone through an enormous amount of training and certification and monitoring. Right. And the idea is that these monks who lived this religious life where they were under these, mm. you know, fairly strict orders and vows. It's like mm. huh, what happened was is that the people who did that sort of outcompeted all of those who didn't. And so okay. eventually it became either legally or practically the case that priests were celibate and there were all these restrictions. And because that was what people trusted is like, and if we're going to choose between a priest who, you know, says I've taken all these vows and gone through, it's like today, it's like I want to hire a pastor who's gone to seminary and done these internships and written a philosophy of mission versus this, you know, guy who said, yeah, I used to be a carpenter and I decided to go around and start talking to people. Well, you choose the guy who went to seminary, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, no, not everybody does. Not everybody does. But, 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 but the vast so there, majority of There are so many examples of, there's so many examples of carpenters starting churches nowadays, Ernie. Um, not that many. Yeah. Uh, what, I, I, there are lots of examples. I, I know lots of people who have been successful. Okay, so the, the I see lots of, it, I know there used to be a lot of them. I don't see as much of them anymore in the dominant white population. Okay. I would say that in the, between the 1950s and now, the professionalization of the clergy seems to have taken over the uh, Protestant churches, certainly mainline Protestant churches. I mean, the fringe charismatic uh, groups, I think, resisted this longer. But now I think even those tend to prefer professionally trained clergy or people who just had a dramatic spiritual experience. Because over time, it seems the organization, it was called the organized religion, right? Okay. Organized okay. where you have a, where you have like some sort of leadership and accountability, over time yeah. drifts into the sense of credentialing um, yeah. as a sign of trustworthiness because it's just how things scale and like there's reasons for that right because um, you know both good and bad, but I mean that's a fair thing to say. So at the beginning, you have people who've had an experience and who are compelling, but over time, mm. if you have an organization that scales you want people who are qualified and have some accountability around. Right. And you get that. Right. So that's where this whole secular religious terminology came from. And okay. to get back to the original question. So let's talk about someone who really wants to follow God. Like yeah. the, from a professional perspective today, you know, there's kind of, there's still kind of a bifurcation. Like if you want to become um, a, a religious vocation, like if you want to go into uh, mission, doing world mission or doing um, pastoral work, uh, you know, you have uh, the well-trodden path, which is you go to Bible school, you apply to an agency, you find a sponsor, you get an internship, you get some tracks, whatever. That's a well-trodden path. The ultimate path still exists, but it's not really a path. It's a quest which is to say, you know, hey, 
I'm going to go off and wander in the desert for a few years and try to seek out a deep experience of God and then uh, build my own organization around me. And I don't know anyone who actually consciously chooses that path. It tends to find them. Right. And the interesting question for me is um, the, like, the, the, the statement of like, you know, I am so serious about God. I don't want to go to seminary and become a missionary. I want to live a life of total devotion in the midst of a job, in the midst of a family. Um, and because I think that's actually uh, uh, at least as important and impactful for the kingdom of God, or possibly, well, actually, here's the problem, right? If you want to serve God, and if you just said that these two are roughly equal, serving God in your family and serving God in the ministry, then the signal of seriousness is to go into the religious life. Because there's a I lot don't more. Think so. I don't think here's so. why. I don't think so. Let me let me let me define my terms more precisely. Okay. Okay. Because when you go into the religious life, the signal you are sending is that I'm giving up the freedom to do all these other things. And what so, other things? We're like, talking about the Catholic Church now. Well, I'm talking about in general. Okay. Like so. No. Oh, so all the Protestant churches. All the Protestant churches, people do what you have said so far. They, they, they go to seminary, they go to certification, all these things, but they're still uh, having a family life. Right. But what is happening is that what they're saying is, you know, I could have gone and played professional basketball. I could have, uh, you know, a little, you know, become a, a runner. I could have done this, but I have chosen to do this, to study this thing, to study God as my primary topic of study and sharing, proclaiming the gospel as my primary skill set, as opposed to investing, like let's make the simple thing about college. Like when you go to college, are you going to a course of study that will uh, match your general interests and, and qualify you for work in the secular marketplace? Or will you invest those scarce resources in qualifications and skills and training that will help you in the religious vocational marketplace. And there is a trade-off there in terms of the training people acquire and the context where they acquire them. And there's some gray area there where you go into Bible school and you become a Bible teacher, which is kind of like being a teacher versus being a, a pastor or a secular profession. But what I'm saying is that, and this is sort of the way I thought about it uh, when I was you know, in my teens and, and even in my 20s, I see it's like, okay, I could do this religious thing and go to seminary and try and be a minister, or I could do this, you know, follow my heart or my passions and go study physics. And I had gotten to a place where I could see, where I said like, okay, God, whichever one you want to sign with me, I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever you have. But it's yeah. interesting to me, and when I talk about like the validity of it, I agree is, in, is sort of indifferent, but the signal it's like, you know, in some ways, if I had said, I'm going to study physics, I mean, you were still disappointed I wasn't going to study medicine, but you would have been okay with it, right? Because it's, it's a normal sort of thing. Whereas if I said I wanted to, like, give up all my physics degree and go study ministry, that would have been, I think, a harder conversation to have. Is that a fair Well, thing? I don't know. We went through that with Vasan, so it wouldn't have been that hard. It wouldn't have been that hard. Anyway, yeah, anyway, been, go ahead. It, yeah. it, would have, it would have been a different conversation, right? Because yeah. in some ways, 
the and not the point that the intrinsic difficulty or value is different, but the social signal is different. Like it, it feels different to say I'm going to pursue this religious vocation versus a secular vocation, because I think it's safe to say, right? The only reason to pursue a religious, uh, at least at first glance, the only reason to pursue a religious vocation is because you're serious about the religion. I think no, that's a safe thing. No, uh, you, are you, when you're finished, I'm going to say something. Go ahead. Okay, I'm finished. Yeah. See, you are looking at it as all or none. See, there are, in God's kingdom, there's a place for everybody. Somebody needs to do physics. Somebody needs to do uh, uh, medicine. Somebody needs to do policeman work, things like that. So God may call some people to be fishers of men, some people to be fishers of fish. If the fisherman is not catching the fish, well, who's going to feed everybody? So, this right. is a false, in a similar way, there are diversities of gifts with the same spirit. Difference of administration, but the same God. Diverse operation, but the same God which worketh all in all. And where it goes there, uh, for one, it is uh, uh, given word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, one is another faith. And another gift of healing by the same spirit. That's where I come in. So the other one is working on miracles, for not necessarily doing miracles, but creating, a, a, you know, working on the atom like you did. So things like that. So play, go where other people have not gone before. So there's a need for all these people, and all these people have to be followers of Christ. So God gives each one. God selects each person for that person. That's what he wants to do. Like, like you said, religious education. If God has chosen you for that, that is your uh, gift. And you use it for God. On the other hand, wasn't had the gift. Whereas I felt that my gift was to support him, but do my gift is to be a good doctor. Uh, use the healing ministry. That's how I look at it. Are you done? Yeah. So this is interesting because I don't disagree with anything you say. Yeah. But something I said uh, felt to you like disagreement. Yeah. You said that, you know, if I had gone to ministry, there would be a different conversation. You said, so you feel like the only good thing is everybody uh, go to a religious uh, thing, completely follow God and forget about everything else. Right? You said, I... Uh, uh, you are giving up physics in order to go fully devoted. Yeah, some people are chosen that way. If you were that, God chose you for that, yeah. That's what is for you. But it's so not that's for not, not for everybody. So I'm trying to say something different and I am failing. Okay. Tell me. Well, so it's interesting because if I could figure out why I was failing, I could do it differently, right? This is, this is where I'm stuck. <laughs> Right. Okay. So, so there's maybe we'll just leave this as a. So here's the, here is the thing that I find fascinating about the end of this story. Okay. Is that the chapter? Chapter. No, but chapter. The, yeah, chapter eight. Yeah. So that, this mm. is actually a good place to end if we want to try and get a conversation in before I have to run back, uh, okay. into my next call, which is that okay. what uh, this is where I feel like the thing that is to me is the tragedy of Shaklin. Like the brilliance and the tragedy of Shaklin is that his uh, is that it's really about a religion, right? He's trying to get people to pursue 
a certain kind of religious practice. Encouraging them to pray seems to be his one metric of success, right? And if, you know, wanting a husband makes this woman pray for a husband, that's a good thing in his sort of metaphysical uh, vision of what's going on. Shocklands. Shocklands metaphysics. His, his vision, his definition of success seems to be kind of like in that, and that seems to be a fair characterization of it. It's like, like his, the way he describes it is like, whatever gets people to pray, it's a good thing. Yeah. Whether it's work, whether it's an idol, whether it's wanting to get buried or whatever. Okay? Yeah. And that becomes his measure of performance. And that's why he's very generous towards the sort of debased religion, you know, uh, that Tom sees it at, or the fact that it's not Jesus or Christianity the way his parents saw. He's like, hey, as long as I'm praying, that's good. Right? But like, what if we redefined the problem? What if we said the, 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 the purpose of the divine, what God wants, is not just people who pray, but people who manifest his character in all their relationships, just right. as a, to pick an, sort of an arbitrary one. Right. And then he would say, oh, my gosh. You know, like, so, for example, if Shockland, you know, maybe that's the next fan fiction piece I should do. I don't know if I'm getting around to it. Is what if I could talk to Shockland at this point of crisis and say, you know, Shockland, I see what you're doing here. This is a wonderful, beautiful thing. But has it ever occurred to you that maybe there's something more to religion than just religion or more to spirituality than just prayer? Like, what mm. if there was something that the divine wanted from us rather than just ritualistic obedience? What if he wanted mm. intimacy and communion and he wanted us to experience the steps of it? And what if the best way you could accomplish that was not by putting off marriage and family until you had done the work? But what if it was that you find a way to redefine the work and the religion to put family at the center of that process rather than the thing that you have to give up to show how serious you are about the first? That is your perspective. So Let me give that you is my question. perspective. Okay. Let me give you my perspective. Right. Okay. From what I know now. Mm -hmm. I know you don't have time for this, but let me quickly tell you this. Okay. Knowing what I know now, and from my background, from my experiences and everything else, yeah. the right thing to have done, because what I told you before, God doesn't have the same thing for everybody. For Shacklin, I, real, I should realize what he wanted was uh, to teach other people this. That is his gift. That is his uh, spiritual gift. So what I should do is to encourage him in that but later on, next chapter. Finally, Carter realizes this guy, God has given him a peculiar gift that needs to be shared with everybody. He's not like me. He's not like Finnett. So I would encourage him in that ministry that God has given him. That's what I would look at. And I would encourage him. I would give him a plane. I would give him money. I would give him food. Go, go do the work that God has given you to do. That's what I would have done. I'm not insisting marry this man. Marry, marry. Okay? Okay. And I would um, think that God has made me prosperous so that I could support Shacklin, do the thing that God has given him to do. We can talk about it more next week. No, but I think this is a great place to end because I see that what I heard you say 
uh, is that the, in the arrangement of things, that this person is going to do sort of this religious work, and you will do the thing that supports him in that, and that's the way God wants it set up, or has it set up. Yeah. Right. And I know, and and the, I think my difference of perspective is like, oh, there's a truth to that. I'm arguing that there's a deeper truth behind that, which is often obscured by that. Is that in some sense, yes, God has given us all different gifts and different roles as the members of the body. But I would argue or claim, or maybe at least uh, dare to believe and hope, that there actually is something in common that God wants from all of us. And that thing is even larger than the particular roles and skills and gifts that we have. And that these roles and skills and gifts could obscure that deeper common purpose. And maybe we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I bet you've heard me talk about it more. Okay, Ma. All right. Love you. Can I make a quick okay, we'll, call we'll, back to you? Yeah, yes, yeah, so we'll call this an end and then pick up on the okay, left side. Okay, love you, Ma. Love you. Right, let me too.